0: Welcome to Rising, we've got a great show for you today. Brianna Joy Gray is
1: back from vacation, how was that? It was great, I feel refreshed, I feel relaxed. I didn't miss missing some of the tougher media cycles from last week, but I did miss your company and the company of all you viewers out there, so I'm looking forward to getting back into it.
0: Wonderful. Well, so happy to have you back. Also, you should know, viewers, we're having a little bit of technical difficulties today, so if it seems like we're reading off our computers, that's uh, because the cameras are doing some interesting choices uh, this week. But why don't you take it away?
1: All right. So new polling out that doesn't look very good for Joe Biden's yes. presidential chances. A new poll from uh, Washington Post, ABC polling from over the weekend shows that Donald Trump is beating Biden by seven points in a general election matchup. Now, uh, most Democrats and Democratic-leaning independents surveyed want the party to nominate someone else other than Biden. And respondents were also asked if they believe that the two-party leaders have quote, mental sharpness necessary to Mm -hmm. effectively serve as president. Just 32 percent believe Biden does. That's compared to Trump's 54 percent.
0: Yeah, this is not good news for Joe Biden. Two-thirds of voters, uh, of of people who responded to the survey, saying that he doesn't have the mental acuity to be president again. Um, He, these numbers are, are, much better for Trump than I think people um, expected. Goes to show you that, you know, while while Biden did have, I think, a, a pretty strong performance in the midterms, uh, and you know, you can make the case that because of that, he's the right person to preside over the Democratic mm-hmm. Party as it heads into the next election. He is not a sure thing at all. A lot of the country doesn't like him. Doesn't think he's he can be president again. There's even people who said, "Okay, I supported him maybe in 2020, but this is you know this is years later, and at his age, it's showing," and they they're going to have no opportunity to see a potential other Democrat right. because he refuses to do any debating.
1: Right. So I said this around midterm times that I think it wasn't fair to attribute the Democrats' relative successes at that time to Joe Biden. I think that everyone was benefited Mm -hmm. by this post-Roe bump, where voters, the majority of which want a much more moderate position on abortion than what Republicans are taking in this moment, came out to the polls, young people voted in high numbers, to try to claw back the status quo from this conservative court and the decisions that are coming out of some Republican legislatures who've won a, a federal abortion ban and these kinds of things. Biden cannot keep coasting on that, especially since it's him and his party that are the reason why we didn't codify Roe over the last 50 years of it actually being in the law of the land. Now, I also think what's interesting about this poll is that it's not purely an age poll, do you think Biden is too old? It's specifically about Mm -hmm. mental acuity, which is something I think Democrats have been dodging by framing this as being about age. If you say it's about age, then you can say, well, oh, Donald Trump's only a year younger than Biden. The whole political establishment is a gerontocracy. You're being unfair to Joe Biden. It's not really his age. He has a speech impediment. All these kind of arguments that we've seen trotted out. But when you really narrow down to if he appears to have the the mental sharpness, the mental acuity to actually run, you're seeing, I think, what people are saying is that when he talks— he doesn't seem to be there. He's not taking questions from the press at the same level as his predecessors have done. And people are now getting in, 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 worried that if we leave it to the general election mm-hmm. to actually see a debate stand up, a, a debate matchup between the Republican nominee and, and and Joe Biden, that it's going to be too late. If we discover he can't actually stand there and hold his own Well, and the quirk
0: of the 2020 campaign, quirk, was that he couldn't actually do a lot of effective campaigning because of the pandemic and people were so over Trump and people were so frustrated with COVID that that all played to his advantage. That's not going to be the case this time. You know, a a lot of uh, the survey respondents here also said, you know, there, there are issues they have with Trump. They rate him much lower than Biden on honesty and trustworthiness. Um, his numbers on that haven't really budged mm. very much in the entire time he's been like a, a political figure. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes to show you that, I mean, we, you know, we talk about how many voters are frustrated with, with the choice between Biden and Trump. I mean, Hillary versus Trump, Biden versus Trump, Biden versus Trump. Figures that... You know they're not sending their best. You know what I mean? The, the <laughs> political parties are not are not putting up people that that interest a, a whole lot of voters. Yeah. Now on the Republican side, there is going to be a battle between for with potential Trump alternatives in the mix, like a Ron DeSantis, for instance. Maybe other Nikki Haley already declared. Maybe a Tim Scott, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, the, the DNC is doing everything it can to ensure that, that nothing equivalent happens on the Democratic yeah, I'm side. I'm having some
1: pretty uh, painful 2016 flashbacks, Robbie, as we go through this new version of what we then call the Bernie blackout. Mm-hmm. Now we have um, outlets repeatedly reporting or. or- not reporting on the fact that Marion Williamson and RFK Jr. have thrown their hats in the ring, Repeat, you see report after report that says that uh, Joe Biden is running uh, unchallenged, or that he has no serious challenger—that's one way they get around having to acknowledge that not only does he have challengers, he has challengers with— polling numbers that these conservative challengers would give their right arm for, mm-hmm. with uh, RFK Jr. polling about 20 percent just a week after his announcement, and Marianne Williamson um, up in what was it, the 5 the percent category, which are strong numbers when you look at the other side of the aisle. Moreover, we see the Democratic Party Literally rigging the primary system again, changing the order of the um, primary contests to advantage Joe Biden, who does very well in a state like South Carolina. Remember, he didn't win any primary contest in 2020 up until South Carolina, and won and lost them pretty dramatically, coming in third, fourth, and fifth place in those early states. Um, And so now it feels like he doesn't want to give any momentum at all to his challengers, which, frankly, is evidence, I think, of their relative strength. And the Democratic Party knows that there's some concern here, probably because they're looking at polls just Mm -hmm. like these.
0: Well, Glenn Greenwald had this to say about the poll on Fox News. Let's watch. If you see polling data showing that 30 percent of the party is ready to back another candidate, as you say, even ones who have no campaign operation yet, that shows a lot of concern and dissatisfaction with Joe Biden. You would think if you have any respect for your voters, the last thing you would do them is to tell them, you're just going to have to swallow this. There'll be no debating, no dissent, no opposition from you. You're going to sit there and silently and take it. And yet that is their messaging because they believe, and I think with good reason, that Democrats at the last minute always snap into line. Hmm.
1: I think his point about the lack of respect that it shows to voters is a really, really good one. Remember, 2016, you had two historically unlikable candidates. But the Democrats said, we're just going to push Hillary through. It's her turn. And we saw what the consequences of that were. The idea that they're behaving with the same level of hubris now is I would say it's shocking, it's galling, but it's not shocking. We've we've seen this script before. It says to, I think, voters that we would rather have our chosen nominee than one that was chosen by the people and one that actually has a likelihood of defeating Trump. And how much can you say you care about protecting democracy, which is the Democrats' through line in this moment, their, their core argument? For why it is that people should come out and turn out to the polls despite not having strong feelings about Joe Biden, strong positive feelings Mm -hmm. about Joe Biden, is we have to protect our democracy. Well, if the Democratic Party is behaving in such an undemocratic way, do they really have legs to stand on?
0: No, absolutely. If I'm you know, Biden, Democrats, et cetera, looking at this, the only the silver lining I'm seeing is that we're still a long way out from the election. Trump has been relatively sidelined and quiet and once, if he is the nominee and he starts getting more airtime, he starts saying things, starts talking about the last election yeah. and January 6th and all yeah. those things that, that, Republicans don't even want to talk about most of them. Independence, it's poison for them. Um, a lot of people in this poll said they think Trump should face criminal responsibility for the mm-hmm. election. Um, that would be where I'd focus on. Like the picture will get better if it's actually Trump and voters start hearing from him again. That's what I would be. That that would what I would use to console myself. Mm-hmm. When I'm trying to see the good in this. So we'll have to wait for yeah, that.
1: one other thing is it, it might be interesting if the Democrats did allow more people in the field. If Joe Biden doesn't want to tangle directly with Trump at this time, we saw back in 2016 that people who took direct shots at at Biden uh, got—sorry, at Trump got hurt. There's a world where, if there are more Democrats Mm -hmm. in the fray, some of them might engage with some of these Trumpian talking points in a way that basically absorbs the fire from Donald Trump, takes the hit that's necessary to take to to bring the, the opponent down while leaving Biden with clean hands. So it's not even clear to me that, strategically, Boxing out the primary the way they're doing is going to Inerto's benefit, but of course we'll be here covering it.
0: Yes We will more rising right after this
1: Tucker Carlson about to unleash on Fox News, well, Axios is reporting he might be. He's currently locked into his Fox News contract into January of 2025, which of course is after the election and apparently is threatening to tell where the bodies are buried in an effort to get out of his contract. There's been some speculation that he could set up, a, hang up his own shingle, as it were, uh, do his own subscription service. There has been rumors that he's, t- he's spoken to Elon Musk about doing something with him. Um, there's rumors that he could take his talents to uh, Rumble or Newsmax, uh, Max, a competitor's show. Uh, wh- what do you make of the story?
0: So this was interesting. This is according to Axios, apparently—and uh, Axios is suggesting that Tucker was sort of holding his— um, his friends at Bay saying don't go score shirt against Fox yet, and the reporting here is that he's now given the go-ahead. <laughs> he wants his friends to uh, to to really make Fox hurt for the position it's taking. Tucker, I think, wants his freedom, his payment, and his freedom. Um, I, I mean, I gather he could you know walk away and not get paid the rest of his contract. He can do whatever he wants. What he, I think. What I'm, if I'm reading this reporting correctly, he wants the $20 million or $30 million that he's owed up through the end of the contract, plus the ability to go to a Rumble or a Newsmax or—I mean, the world's his oyster. He could he could rejoin The Daily Caller, uh, which he co-founded. Mm-hmm. He could go to The Daily Wire, which is uh, probably maybe one of the next biggest conservative media organizations after Fox itself. Glenn Beck said he'd love to have him at The Blaze. He could, you know, pull a Joe Rogan, just do his own thing on Spotify or somewhere. He could He could— Create a, a new wholly new channel, or a new site, or a new whatever. He's a very smart writer. In addition to being obviously known to most people as uh, as the as a TV commentator, mm-hmm. so it's interesting. And obviously, Fox has had a a viewership hit mm-hmm. in his time slot, and I think down the line. Um, uh, viewers are not happy so far about this exit. He's getting, Fox is getting a lot of criticism from, they got criticism from Trump, from other conservatives. Megyn Kelly has been, uh, has been really laying into Fox for doing this. She's, a, she's a is someone who parted ways with Fox on not great terms, and she's also very friendly with Tucker. So she has been, uh, you know, taking his side very much in this whole dispute and other people. So it's it's interesting to see if—but she, what she was saying on the show the other day, she's saying that Fox is counting on, you know, when Ron DeSantis declares or there's a big national news event. Are people really going to not watch? No. They're going to turn on, and they're not going to watch Newsmax. They're going to watch Fox. Mm -hmm. And over time, it will rebound. Um, So if you want to have a splash, you have to not do that, is what she was saying. Yeah, I mean,
1: that feels right to me. I think think you don't have to be downplaying the influence that Tucker Carlson had on Fox News or the strength of his audience or the willingness of much of his audience to follow him to a new program to think that Fox News, which is still the most popular news channel in America, is suddenly going to go kaput or that people aren't tuning in for a more holistic coverage of Average Day's events, not just the kind of pundit-style opinion work that Tucker is known for. And I do think also we've seen these shifts before. It's not that Fox isn't taking a hit and won't take a hit, but the expectation that they're not going to recover significantly over the course of an election cycle, which is really the bread and butter for these shows, I think is a little bit naive. That being said, it, it will be interesting to see what damage Tucker's allies can do to Fox News in the interim. And I'm also a little bit curious about the posture of this from a financial perspective, because there's an argument that says if the reason that Tucker Carlson is saying let loose on Fox is because he wants to both be paid to the end of his contract and have the freedom to start something new, is there something a little off about right. that? I mean, we're speaking to all of the popularity he has, his ability to hang up his own shingle, How everybody? There's probably going to be a bidding war to get his attention. He can obviously make more money, and he obviously has a great deal of money. If it really is that important for him to offer his commentary through the election cycle, which from his perspective, maybe he has to. Maybe
0: he. Maybe it's not even a dispute over the money, but he just can't be let out of his contract because he has a non-compete ca- a clause that he agreed to with them. Yeah, but what's— And there's no. And there's
1: what are the consequences no of it? I, don't know. I mean, I don't know. I,
0: I, they well, sue what, him. I don't know.
1: <laughs> right. So it ultimately comes down to a money game. So it's not that I'm saying he should be cavalier sure. about whatever financial penalty should come his way. I'm not trying to count somebody else's money. But it is an an interesting dynamic wherein. He has the capacity to earn a great deal more, potentially. Um, And if his allies really do value his ability to swing the political needle in their favor, there's a world where even if he were to lose a certain kind of a— a litigation battle with Fox News or even who were in violation mm-hmm. of his contract terms, it could ultimately behoove him to go ahead and say, I'm going to do this on my own. Obviously I see him wanting to, to hash it out um, legally in the, in the first instance, but I could also see him doing a kind of a, a dirty break. Can't keep baby in the corner style, you know.
0: Yeah, he clearly does not want to be benched, and I understand why. He's a he's a gifted political commentator. He does not want to be benched for the upcoming election. Um, speaking, one of his allies who is calling actually for a boycott of Fox News is Brett Favre, mm-hmm. the famous uh, uh, football player. Uh, was she, he Brett Favre shared uh, the Megan Kelly clip I was alluding to, mm-hmm. saying that I'm with Tucker. Time to boycott Fox until they come to their senses and let the man speak.
1: Yeah, that it seems like you're asking asking for a lot boycotts are tough mm-hmm. they have to be organized and it's not clear the conservatives like- inflicted some pain on Budweiser didn't they everybody bounces back yeah a- everybody bounces back the world is too big I mean this is this is I think the problem with a lot of the commentary both in the Budweiser situation and across the board advertisers corporations are following the bottom line as much as there's this characterization from conservatives right now about how you know they're chasing wokeness because they have a genuine ideological commitment to wokeness. I think what companies like Budweiser are doing is they're saying there's a section of the population who is galvanized by trans uh, positive issues. Mm-hmm. There's a, a section of the population that's galvanized by guns. There's a section of the cop- population that's galvanized by Clydesdales going through the, the Berkshires in the wintertime. I mean, that's what we see in all of these kinds of commercials because they understand that it's not just one big, holistic well, country. And so they're willing to hedge their bets and reach out sure. to different co- parts of the market. And sometimes you have hits and misses. But it's not this big ideological project. So ultimately, we'll see what the advertisers well, do, I, I what think, the, the people go.
0: Uh, I think big corporations ov- generally, yes, are trying to put profits first and make more money. It's not really ideological on their part. But they can have. I mean, they can just make bad bets. Sure. They, they can overestimate the market for a certain kind of advertising campaign or a certain kind of uh, of, of rebranding. They, they could. They could think, because of elite discourse, that more people like a thing than actually do, and could be led down a path. I think that's probably the smarter criticism yeah, of, fair. like, wokeness's influence on corporations, right? It's not that they are like, we just got to force wokeness on everyone. doesn't matter how much money we lose, do wokeness. No, that, that's not how they're thinking. But they might think that it's more popular than it is, based on you know what elite discourse in The New York Times and on Twitter has to say. Yeah,
1: I mean, Budweiser's real misstep was uh, not hiring Caitlyn Jenner to be there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm -hmm. (laughs) Of course, you know, if you think back to that story from a couple of weeks ago, one of the ironies was that one of the alternate alternative alcohol companies that was being promoted instead of uh, Bud Light had previously had Caitlyn Jenner as one of their spokespeople. So, again, it doesn't feel as much like it's about from the conservative side, Mm -hmm. are we really against the existence of trans people or trans people in this kind of a marketing role as much as the presumed politics of someone like Dylan Mulvaney versus someone like Caitlyn Jenner? Someone was telling me,
0: I don't know if it was someone in my family, I can't remember who this was, but recently I had a conversation with someone who said that they were driving middle of nowhere in the country, stopped at a gas station. Uh, a- asked the attendant there, like, like it's a place you can buy liquor, alcohol to, asked if people were, like, was there a change in people buying Budweiser? And the person said, yeah, he has not sold a single That's case so of interesting. Since the ad. It, it does it's happen. It's just sitting there collecting dust. It,
1: it's making me think of how some of these reputational dents never go away. Back in the 90s, I think, um, I believe it was Tommy Hilfiger who said something about how he didn't make his clothes for black people. They had become very popular in the hip-hop community. Mm. And I guess he was concerned about how it was going to affect his brand- perception. And to this, like, for years, to this day, people will say things about, like, oh, I'm not wearing those clothes. Like, a racist makes those clothes and things like that. So you know, sometimes these these, these uh, controversies do have a long tail on them. With respect to the Tucker Carlson, it does seem obvious that he's not going to wait to 2025 to say something. I don't think so. That video that he put out uh, a couple of weeks ago was cryptic enough to suggest that something 100 percent is coming down the pipeline. The only question is when and what is going on behind the scenes to try to negotiate an early release for him. Mm, Indeed.
0: All right, well, we'll have more Rising right after this. Stay with us.
1: At least eight people were killed, seven others injured from a shooting that happened over the weekend in Allen, Texas, at a mall. The shooter has been identified as Mauricio Garcia, who was killed on the scene. He was 33 years old. We don't know a lot yet as to motive, although he did have initials on his person that indicate he might have been a part of a white supremacist group. This has obviously caused a lot of politicization and controversy about whether or not he, as a Latino man, can be properly identified as a part of a white supremacist group. Others have pointed to the existence of Nick Puentes and other prominent white Latinos um, as as contrary evidence. Um, But first and foremost, a tragedy. There's been an enormous amount of eyewitness accounting on the ground um, from people who intervened and tried to help. Uh, a mother apparently died trying to shield her child from bullets. Successfully doing so, um, the child was recovered, you know, covered in their in their parents' blood.
0: Yeah, it was sounds very very grisly. Horrific. People, someone's face was blown yes, away. a child. Um, a child's Very, yeah. uh, really horrible. Um, Horrible tragedy.
1: Yeah. So, apparently, what we do know about Garcia um, is that he was living in some temporary housing in Dallas, that he used to work as a security guard and had received firearms training uh, for that position. He apparently worked from about 2016 to 2020 as a security guard, at which point his license expired. It's not clear why. Um, You were not allowed to work as a security guard and have that license if you are uh, committed of a number of crimes, including assault. Um, uh, battery, um, uh, spousal abuse, those kinds of things. Again, we don't know why it is that he lost his license, but people are trying to look to context for why there might have been that gap. Um, And as I said earlier, he was living in a a temporary housing unit, so it Mm -hmm. seemed like he was not in the best of situations leading up to his choice to victimize this community.
0: Right, you know, we'll want to know: Was there a law enforcement action that could have been taken? You know, does he have these, these weapons illegally? Then, if he's not supposed to be carrying them because he, you know, wasn't able to anymore, Um, you know, what of that nature? All of those things, but it's uh, it's uh, another. Uh, really awful mass shooting this year. I think we're up to 200 so far this year. That They uh, meet the technical definition, which right. is that four people have to be shot rather right. than the shooter. But at
1: this point, Robbie, I mean, you, you make that point, and I think it's a, a very legitimate one to make, that many of what we character, uh, the events that we characterize as mass shootings aren't the kind of random-seeming, sporadic events. They're more right. gang-related and the like. However, I feel like even... The two of us on the show have covered the more typical kinds of mass shootings, and they have been numerous. And so, of course, as a consequence, there's been this political battle that's emerged going back and forth. Uh, Greg Abbott uh, made a statement pointing to California as having the largest number of gun victims seeming to want to insulate Texas mm-hmm. from critiques about its own and gun laws. California loss.
0: did have the biggest mass shooting so far this year the, in Monterey. Um, that was a— um, Hold on, I'm pulling up more details on that. I saw that one listed. Um, Eleven victims killed um, there earlier Mm. this year, on January 21st, Mm. at a ballroom dance studio.
1: Mm. Right, so in response, um, Gavin Newsom pushed back, saying that if you actually look at the death, gun death rate as a, you know, if you could pull well, yeah, for the population. That, right, that's true. And
0: again, that's so different because the mass shootings get, I mean, they get attention because obviously we're giving this attention. It's horrible. It's so, it's grisly. It's, you know, especially when they're random, children dying, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but most, the overwhelming majority of gun deaths are not are not somebody walking into a mall right. or school or something, but one-off gun crime in the house, or with neighbors, or crime—it's which is not to minimize or say that it's right. not bad. But just it's, to
1: say, even if you control for the right. same types of gun deaths, that apparently in California there are nine gun deaths per hundred thousand people. In Texas, it's right. fifteen point six percent. So again, we're but not because a, of the incre-
0: not because of a difference in mass shootings, but a difference in no,
1: just pure gun, gun deaths, deaths across yes. across the board. So you know how useful are these um, kind of numerical battles? Who has it worse? Who's doing it better? I mean, I think no one would contest that, of course, terrible gun crimes happen in places like California where there are mm-hmm. more strict gun laws. It does seem like numerically it happens in the, with a lower frequency. We spoke to um, Nancy Mace of South Carolina a few weeks ago here on the show, um, and she pointed to the large number of gun crimes that happen in, in northern um, blue cities like Chicago. Of course, a state like South Carolina is one of the largest sources of guns for people in the bluer states where they do have stricter gun control laws. Chicago has a lot of issues with guns coming up through its southern border because of surrounding states having weaker gun laws as well. So I mean it does—the blame game feels frustrating in a country where the fate Mm -hmm. of states are so closely linked to each other. And also I think there's an exhaustion among the public that regardless of one's ideological priors, it is horrifying to feel increasingly like you could be going to the mall, going to church going to school and feel so unsafe. And that these events, which almost never happen, as rare as they are, relatively mm-hmm. speaking, in terms of cause of death in America, they almost never happen in our peer nations. So what is going on? I mean, they,
0: they do happen in peer nations. I was reading about a mass shooting in uh, in Eastern Europe the other day.
1: I mean, they, they do happen. They're, they're not totally. Right. They're nowhere near the frequencies that are happening in the United States of America. Well, again, the, the overall,
0: I agree with you on the overall gun death rate. Obviously, far higher here because we have way more guns. Um, the mass violence episode again—they're not—they're not so frequent. It's hard to even compare them, um, and they're difficult to. And I, they're, it's difficult, I think, to construct a policy that would further reduce them. We could reduce gun homicides in general probably if we more strictly enforced even the laws we do have on the books to prevent you from to prevent. Felons from having access to I mean are you but, like you were referencing stricter gun laws that some places have like Chicago blue states But if they're not enforcing that you know if they're not actually like arresting and keeping in prison people who have Illegal firearms then it's not gonna do any good
1: Well, some people have pointed to um, whether or not there's more that can be discerned from Garcia's background. Um, I think this was from a CNN report uh, that the shooter was removed from the Army over some mental health concerns, that he's been suspected of this right-wing extremist ideology. We'll find out more about that, obviously. it, uh, apparently, Garcia underwent firearms proficiency, proficiency training for his work as a commissioned security officer. This is according to the Texas Online Private Security Database, uh, which maintains records mm-hmm. of these sorts of things. He was approved to work as a security guard in Texas, as I said, between 20, uh, as of 2016 through 2020. Um, and none of the companies that were involved in its approval of process have so far responded to requests. For comment, but they are required to go through background background checks before they get their license to be a security guard. You were disqualified if you were dishonorably discharged from the military, or if you committed assault, sexual offenses, burglary, etc. So it's a real black box of who knows what at this point. Some people, uh, conservatives like Ben Shapiro, have seemingly not chosen to contest the kind of implications or the evidence so far that he was right-leaning, rather they are looking to other shootings, like the Nashville shooting at the Christian school, and raising questions about why the media wasn't as interested, in his view, in the background of that— Right, um, that manifesto not being
0: released, the assumption being that it probably points to a very anti-Christian, anti-conservative agenda of that shooter. Um, I I think that's maybe a fair point, that the media is only interested if this is going to be embarrassing to people on the right. Um, of course, you, you could have a general, you know, opposition to probing the manifestos. ideologies of these yeah. kind of people in general
1: so as to well, not have contagion. When I was talking about this, I think uh, uh, Inez was my co-host when this when that story broke and, you know, in the conservative chair and, and her view was that it's not helpful to publish manifestos, that right. it encourages copycats and that there's a public safety interest in not doing so. I don't have strong feelings about it one way or the other. I mean, that
0: might be the case, but... I mean, that would just—the media would have to practice self-responsibility to not do that because, obviously, you can't have any policy that prevents the media from covering these things if they want to. I mean, it's, well, a, I it's think, a free speech issue.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I presume that in this instance it's that the manifesto hasn't been released, that yeah. the, it's in the custody of police or the family or whatever, and that they just haven't made it public. And that's and that's a choice. I personally, for the record, would not object to seeing the— um, christian school shooters mm-hmm. manifesto for ideological reasons i'm not my you know as a leftist my ideology has nothing to do with what this um, i don't really like the idea that we
0: have to keep the public safe from encountering information do you know what i mean yeah Which is I sort I think of that's, the idea I behind that don't even publish the manifesto look and, i don't think that we should count that stuff as very interesting again like People kill each other for all sorts of reasons. Sometimes ideological, sometimes not. And it is very, I think, human to try to look for meaning mm-hmm. in that. Way, what was he thinking? What? Yeah. Where? Where did he go wrong? How do his how ideas it? add up? And uh, yeah, that's a that's a human tendency. Uh, but I think we're often looking for meaning where there is none.
1: Perhaps I I just find it a little bit interesting. Like I don't I wouldn't object to some left wing shooter's mm-hmm. re- reasoning being made public. Because whatever they are thinking is, is obviously not mine because I don't believe in murdering people. Right. It's interesting to me, like, why would someone object to, if we discover that this person in fact does have this, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: white supremacist right-wing ideology, if you're not a white supremacist right-wing person who wants, who supports in murdering children at the mall, then why does that reflect right. negatively on you in the least? Unless you've been saying things about the Great Replacement Theory and things that are, you know, so... It's almost like
0: it's treated as more legitimate if the manifesto says, you know, I'm trying to... There's too many black and brown people in this country or something, and this is my ideology. People say, like, that's more coherent or something than I hear voices in my head, and I think everyone's an alien around me, so I'm going to start shooting them. But if you're shooting people for either of these reasons, it's equally incoherent. It's not a a philosophy. It's not legitimate. It's you're crazy. And we should stop ascribing Well, some I would argue kind of... that it's
1: not about legitimacy. If someone is crazy and they think there's aliens, well, there's no aliens, probably. Right. <laughs> so there's nothing any of us can do about that. If someone is watching programming and reading, you know, blogs or going down Reddit rabbit holes or whatever it is, where they are being told that the problems in their life are attributable to black people or brown people or Jewish people, and they are acting on the information that's being promulgated sometimes by some pretty high-profile media figures, then the question is whether there should be more pushback against the messaging that has a more tangible relationship to someone's actions in a way that no one can blame an alien that doesn't exist or a mental health disorder or a voice in the head that no one can identify for causing someone to shoot. But the
0: the messaging at the highest level is never, ever go kill people. So that's on them.
1: Well, and rather, probably, re- and, I mean this is the
0: argument that uh, people who are inclined toward that or capable of that are unwell, it's not normal, and it's not going to be a specific ideology that sends them re- that
1: way. Re- regrettably, the, the argument that people make is that history has shown that Oftentimes, acts of mass killing, genocide, programs against whether it's ethnic uh, minorities or religious minorities or what have you, start by dehumanizing them, Uh, making it easier, the threshold for killing them or incarcerating them or putting them in an internment camp or putting them in a gulag or a concentration camp, the threshold is lower the more that we talk about them as less than human. And so it wasn't overnight. I don't mean to make everything about World War II and the Holocaust, obviously, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't overnight that you just start shipping people on trains. It's not overnight that you, you know, lock up Japanese people during World War II. These things happen gradually. There's movies like... District 9. I mean, there's all these dystopian mm-hmm. horror films where we see how you start to talk about people like bugs. You start to talk about people like something other than being human beings. And so, yeah, there are people who are always going to be more incentivized or more inclined to, I think, take the life of another. And there are others who are never going to actively put the gun to, you know, the Jewish person's head. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, but there are people who are on the borderline and who feel empowered by the state, by media, by other kinds of forces, to dehumanize others and start to cross the line. I mean, I, line.
0: I understand that and it's theory, and, and I, I think that's true. Right, you and I You th- can't prove it. Right. And I think that's— Obviously, you're describing a phenomenon that's real for national policy, for state-sanctioned violence, for all of those things, for the crazy person who does a thing like this. I don't know.
1: Would it bother you if— in a manifesto, someone specifically said, um, you know, I I listened to The Hill. You know, yeah. I watched The Rising. I, let me, I don't want to make it personal, but I'm trying not yeah, to make yeah, it about yeah, any one yeah. person, so I thought we could make it about ourselves. But, you know, if, if someone said, I watched Sesame Street and Big Bird told me to do this, and we go back to an episode. I just think they were crazy.
0: And, yeah, because uh, I mean, Unless Big Bird literally said, go sometimes shoot people there for... Are, it's
1: not Big Bird, but there are people yeah. who are saying the immigrants are killing people, the immigrants are taking your jobs, the immigrants are causing all the crime, black people are inherently violent, black people are doing all the crime. But they're just,
0: I would criticize, if if commentators are are making inaccurate comments, I would just criticize those comments for being inaccurate.
1: All right, well it's it's interesting, I think it's very fraught, because the one-to-one relationship isn't one-to-one, but I think it would be difficult to deny the influence on certain potentially fragile pre-existing condition type people to follow the lead of folks who are in positions of authority. And what do we do about that as a society respecting free speech interests and the like? It's not entirely clear to me, but I do think it's worth a conversation. Mm. I appreciate you starting it with me here today, Robbie, and of course, we will have my rising fee right after this.
0: Continuing to follow the reactions to the death of Jordan Neely in the New York City subway system, there were protests. Uh, In the last few days, some people actually going onto the tracks, uh, preventing the subway cars from continuing in response to the chokehold death of Jordan Neely, um, who died after another passenger on the train put him in a chokehold, allegedly in response to him making um, harassing or uncomfortable comments on the train. Not clear how how much, if any, danger he was actually putting under the passengers. But in response, uh, Daniel Penny is the name of the person who initiated the chokehold and uh, and he died as a result of that. So a lot of um, dialogue on the internet about it, a lot of uh, uh, protest um, actions, uh, the, you know the protests so people actually going onto the subway tracks so that the uh, the subways so that the cars couldn't come a lot of actual disruption to the subway over the last few days as I understand it.
1: Yeah, um, folks are upset about the idea that someone who had not, put their hands on anybody on that car, would be um, restrained by the penny of the former Marine and put into a chokehold for about 15 minutes when that ultimately resulted in his death. And so I think, regrettably, so much of the conversation is about what someone would have the right to do if they hit another passenger. Because in the past, Neely has been involved in actual physical altercations. In this case, he wasn't. So there was a prematurity to the chokehold. And of course, if the restraint had been a restraint that didn't result in death, we'd be, I think, in a very different posture rhetorically as well. But it was a restraint that ended in death, and now there has been some additional audio that people have been pointing to that indicates there was some warning that the restraint was too severe or going on for too long, a conversation had by people in the car. This is as reported by the Daily Mail. Someone uh, who can be heard but not seen warned Penny that Neely had defecated which he feared was a sign that he was dying. From his experience, I think he referenced the fact that his wife had experienced in service as well, saying, quote, he defecated on himself, you're going to kill him now. This was a warning that was given Mm -hmm. to Penny. Another man who was helping Penny restrain Neely replied that it was an old stain on Neely's trousers and that Penny was no longer squeezing Neely's neck. He's not squeezing, the voice can be heard saying, all right, because after he's defecated himself, that's it, you've gotta let him go. He then warned Penny that he might be facing a murder, a quote, murder charge uh, because of his actions. At that point, uh, the, a second man turned to Neely and said, Hey, can you hear me? Neely did not respond. Uh, Penny did not speak, but then released Neely and got to his feet. The unidentified bystander can then be heard saying, That was one hell of a chokehold, man. Uh, after uh, three minutes and 50 seconds, Neely appeared to then converse and take a deep breath. And of course, we now know that he died. We
0: also saw a lot of uh, reporting on, uh, honestly, a a number of of city resources that had been put toward helping him, obviously not enough, but he was on this list of 50, I believe, sort of um, homeless, notable people, uh, homeless individuals known to the city that, uh, that, that And as a result of his previous interactions with, he had 42 um, arrests for different things. Three of them, uh, described as unprovoked attacks on um, on other passengers or people in the street. Uh, He he was as part of a, a. Arrangement where he would not be prosecuted for whatever the one of the most recent things was he was supposed to be Basically checking in with a mental health court and th- but then had stopped meeting the requirements of that program um, You know and then and he's had just so many interactions with law enforcement the mental health uh, uh, Court you know, they were trying to get him the help he needs but it, it it's 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 <laughs> I think it just shows you how Tough it is, honestly, with the, mm-hmm. because they like he was known to the city. He was known to the mental health authorities. He he was on a, a list that specifically they they try to get this get him or people on the list in touch with mental health resources. So there were a lot of entities, both city and and just charitable or helpful, mm-hmm. trying to do the right thing for him. And even that was not at the end uh, end of the day.
1: Well, I mean, it's important to know that the reason why that wasn't, at the end of the day, helpful. is because someone who wasn't the city, someone who wasn't even the police force, intervened, vigilante style. And he
0: was still, what I mean, it wasn't enough because he was still having psychotic episodes in public spaces.
1: Sure, and the reason that we're talking about this case is not because he was mentally ill in public, which unfortunately is the case for a lot of people in, across the country, mm-hmm. um, but because the, the crime that was committed here, and I appreciate—I'm not saying that his previous um, record is—I don't think it's necessary to vilify him or turn him into a folk hero. The fact of the, the fact of the there case— There is some
0: turning him into a folk hero Right, and there's a lot of on. people who
1: are saying, because you have a, a record of interactions with the police or the social service system, that you deserve to die. But the situation here is that this wasn't police getting involved. This wasn't a choice to incarcerate him. This wasn't a choice to charge him with something and throw him in jail. It wasn't a choice to put him in a, a, a mental facility and take him off the streets. This was an unsanctioned civilian who made a choice to intervene and as a consequence killed k- killed a man. Mm-hmm. And the question is whether or not that was ultimately going to result in a charge, whether or not he's going to be charged with... Some kind of involuntary manslaughter or, or reckless manslaughter. Um, because some combination of the words that were said, the warnings that were given, might have indicated that he should have not put this put Neely in a chokehold for as long as he did. And that's the kind of dangerous dangerous behavior that can result in the loss of human life. Human life, which I believe substantially is valuable on its own terms, regardless of the record or priors of the people involved. And if someone had in turn, strangled Penny to death in retribution or pulled him off of Neely and then killed him on the train, That also would have been wrong and that person should go to jail for it. It's regretful that Penny put himself in this situation, but this is what happens. When you kill somebody, there are often consequences for it, which is why I think there should not be an encouragement of this kind of vigilantism, especially—and this is such an important point—especially because in this instance, Neely hadn't actually laid a finger on anybody. And are we saying that we want to live in a world where if someone's shouting on the subway, we're going to give citizens free license to strangle them to death?
0: I don't think we're saying that, but we should not have as a default state, there's just crazy people shouting at people. On the subway, making them feel intimidated. Maybe, the, maybe not in that case, but in other cases, lashing out violently. Right. Obviously, no, we don't want to. We've got to figure out what to do but, that. Yeah. But
1: this, this, the crime here, the assault that happened here, the physical assault that happened here, was not by Neely. The only physical assault that happened here on this train was by Penny. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. Like, you know, if someone had acted in a different a moment, it, we would be in a very, very different case. What's so disturbing, I think, to a lot of people, and why there are these protests is that because the facts of this, I think, are frankly very inconvenient to Penny, because there was no physical assault by Neely, because Neely died and wasn't just restrained, but died, there is a framing of this that I think is is completely going to other instances that happened to justify why someone in Neely's position might be justified in another case that just wasn't the case that happened here, you know?
0: Well, right, but I don't. I don't think he meant to kill him. Obviously, we have didn't. more information to learn about this, but it doesn't. It seems like he meant to restrain him, and it resulted in his death. So, there's a little bit of like, what was his motivation? That is not going to fit. Like,
1: sure, murder. but that's why we have. That's why we have things like yeah. negligent homicide. That's why we. That's. There's. 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 Um, rules for this sort of thing, mm-hmm. and and I think that there wouldn't be as much. Look, I I completely can can see that there is a projection of intent onto Penny that has not been proven, that is inappropriate. But it is also the case that there is a projection of intent onto Neely and a projection of -hmm. of actions that didn't take place onto Neely that are being used to justify the behavior.
0: I mean, there's rules to all the things. I mean, he broke—he had 42 different infractions of—so we don't care about all the laws he broke or all the things he did wrong.
1: As far as we know about those, because he was in the criminal justice system right. and being, and those were being addressed when they were addressed. But, but it the said only they gave him law, chances.
0: They said, well, you don't have to be prosecuted this time. You can do X, Y, Z things instead. Didn't do those things over and over
1: again. Right. And this, this day on the train, none of those previous moments was the result of him being killed. But he was killed because he shouted. Penny did not wait for an escalation. He chose to... Address what, like it or not, many of us, all of us who live and are from New York, have experienced in the train, which is a yeah, loud person, shouting it. person, etc. And all of us, I've never been in a physical altercation. I've never killed somebody. I've never asked for someone to kill someone on my behalf on the New York train mm-hmm. system. And Neely, who. Is I believe from Staten Island, but you know not from New York. Staten Island is the, has the least density of trains, so I don't know what this man's experience is. Okay. I'm not going to project anything onto him. Sorry, a, a penny rather is from Staten Island. He chose to preemptively put his hands on Neely and, ch- and put him in a chokehold that resulted in his death. And that's that's the only crime we have here to deal with today. That's the, that's the one. Neely never murdered anybody. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I, don't, I know people are touchy about that word. I'll retract the word murder. I'll retract the word murder. Melee never killed anybody.
0: I mean, he was on the subway illegally. Right. Yes.
1: So one person ev- had a fair evasion. Another person killed another human Routinely being. Routinely
0: over and over and over and over again. <laughs> I mean, again, so the rules need to be enforced, right? Or right. It's not going to happen. So or everyone should just walk fair, on the subway and evasion, not pay for it, I guess.
1: fair evasion doesn't get you a death sentence.
0: Right. But, I mean, it didn't—look, we—obviously, we, we know what we're talking about here. It's—most people want to make the subway a safer, less prone to outbursts from crazy mm-hmm. homeless people. Sure. Um, their need to uh, Lee Fong, I don't know if you saw this, he had a great Substack post um, yesterday about how, you know, a lot of the left-wing groups, including the New York Civil Liberties Union, Vocal New York. Um, had opposed the mayor, Adam, who—all these groups, you know, saying that he was murdered, he was lynched, et cetera, but opposed the plan to involve more mental health—to to have more mental health officials pushing I, My understanding wasn't the opposition, the...
1: wasn't opposing more mental health practitioners. Uh, Eric Adams' choice was to address the homelessness on the—the um, the crisis of homeless people— on the train with more police officers if they wouldn't
0: go voluntarily been, when the mental health people asked them to then the poli- it would allow the police to do it forcibly but wouldn't you say that's a better outcome than what we see here is just random people doing the job that the yeah, police I should be doing yeah i absolutely
1: think the police should intervene to prevent people from getting killed on the subway train by vigilantes Yeah, I think murder is horrible. And the police's priority should be preventing people from killing other people on the subway.
0: Could they do that by by intervening to have people who... Are not supposed to be on the subway and should in fact be I, in mental health facilities? I strongly facilities?
1: support fully funding mental health facilities, strongly support mental health and housing facilities. Yeah, I don't sure think anyone don't is even arguing against the that, funding of that. the
0: mental health facilities Well,
1: people here. absolutely are. And the New York City police budget keeps going up, and the social services budget does not. Now, I will say, to your point, social services were very much involved in this case. and it's being characterized a little bit as a failure of those systems, but sometimes they're really tough cases, and it's kind of admirable in my view that there were, that this person was known, that Neely was known, and there were so many efforts had been made to yeah. correct his, his situation and improve his situation. And who knows how successful they might have been with more time. We'll, we'll never know because this is a 30-year-old who is now deceased whose mother also tragically was strangled to death um, you know, yeah, by and, and, a
0: boyfriend or, yeah, yeah like this partner. is a, a
1: very, a tragic life, um, and a tragic outcome. And I have no issue talking about the ways in which Neely also caused a lot of drama and fear and problems on the subway. But having such an interest in talking about that and people who, I'm sorry, Robbie, it feels like there's more of a weight at times on the idea of someone stealing $2 or $2.75 cents thirty-five cents, whatever it is now, and fair evasions than someone getting killed, I mean, you know?
0: Well, and I, I mean, there's no effort to stop the former, so you can just evade as much as you there's want. There's
1: cops but. being paid an enormous sum in taxpayer money stationed all across the city trying to keep fair evasion from happening, yeah, believe I you me. I think
0: it would be great if they did that a little bit more. This situation wouldn't have happened if
1: other, other, he wasn't on the subway. Others, well, him being on the subway and fare evasion are two different kinds of things. People are going to get on the subway even if they pay to be on the subway. Other cities
0: I don't think he was paying other, to be on the
1: subway. Other other cities take a Given different approach and say we don't care it. about fare evasion. It makes no sense for us to be paying cops, overtime salaries, huge sums of money more than what is actually being spent on costing the public transportation on fare evasion. A lot of cities in the wake of COVID actually decided to just move to a free system because ultimately it's public service and they think that there are benefits in terms of, you know, climate benefits, keeping the roads cleaner and freer, not having to maintain roads, not having to issue traffic tickets, all those kinds of things by simply making public transportation free. So again, I just don't want to get away from the core issue that there is a legitimate culture of fear, I think, on the subway, that everyone would like us to be living in Japan where everything's quiet and clean and there's no issues or no safety problems you whatsoever. Sound kind of dismissive
0: when you say it like no, that. No, I,
1: I don't know how else I can say it. I genuinely want that to be the case. And I think as a society, we should be actively strategizing to figure out what's going on and why our mental health crisis is so much more exigent, because there are mentally ill people all over the world with, Did, not in this yes, scenario. Yes, we have to
0: take but, mentally, mentally right ill now, people, put them in facilities, have them, they have to take antipsychotic medication. But right
1: now That's what happened what we have to do. Well again I for a libertarian I feel like I have a lot more liberty interests concerns in these scenarios than you do. I think that there have to be Protections that so you can't just lock people up and say that they're crazy and throw away the key. But we can no, no, no. no. So you
0: can I, that's can tell who is. It's not like we're no, you crazy in the colloquial. These are people who are shaking, who are who are who are living on the street, who who have violent outbursts, who are. It's not just like oh, you have some crazy ideas. Well, they can I, lock you I'm up not or going something. To it's so obviously Psychiatric
1: different. requirements for incarceration. I'm saying that they exist, and that's the only reason I'm not nodding and agreeing with that is because I think we should be very careful about the substantive liberty interest of Americans. That's one of the founding principles of our country, and I don't don't think we should throw that out the window the second second we're talking about someone who is mentally ill, mental illness comes in a lot of different types of ways. It's not all permanent. There's a lot of things that are going with people. All I'm trying to say is, all that aside, I agree that that should be a committed goal of the public and not something that's just brought up when we're supposed to be having a substantive conversation about the fact that a man named... um, uh, this, this former marine Daniel Penny. Daniel Penny killed Neely. That's what happened. Neely on that day last week didn't touch a person in that subway car. I'm not he it seems like he was disruptive and unpleasant but he did not touch a person on that subway car that day right right. And Penny, not knowing a thing about Neely's background or or behavior, and so it is not fair to bring that into this scenario in terms of what motivated Penny's behavior, Penny made a choice to put a stranger in a chokehold and keep him in that chokehold for 15 minutes until he died or died shortly thereafter. And that people are going to have to reckon with that piece of it, regardless of what you think about how we can ha- should handle mental health uh, issues and things like that, because I mean, there was a lot of agreement on that issue. So people are trying to make this, I think, into a, an issue that, where there's a lot more public support, well, where there's not a lot of public support against strangling I haven't really heard so
0: anyone way. saying that they think that was the right way to handle the issue. I <laughs> am not seeing Robbie. a lot of— Well, it resulted in his death. I'm not saying I'm not seeing people say he did the right thing. If this situation happened again, he should do that again.
1: I think a lot of people are saying that he was that justified all. in his action. That's the whole point of bringing in all of his priors to say, well, this is what happens when people are crazy. This is what happens if you allow homeless people in the subway. Say la vie. No, it's not well, what happens.
0: That could be- True, but it's
1: literally not what happens because we all have lived in New York our entire lives and never have that happen. This is a controversial event because of how rare it is for something like this to happen. Do I think that we should have to live in this tension with folks who are obviously in distress, who are in e- economic distress, who are in mental health distress, who are clearly not doing their best? No, of course not. I think the, I'm not downplaying the vagrant, the mentally the ill
0: impose. A, it, it, they're in distress and pain. This isn't. It's not kind for them to leave them in the condition they are, and it imposes a social cost because people wonder what to do about it, especially when they're in confined spaces with them. For so sure. this was not the right way to handle it. Uh, but yeah. we need. Well, I'm
1: glad we can agree on that yeah. because unfortunately, there is not. I think there is a much more disagreement about that than than you believe that there is out in public, and so I think if we could start with. Uh, human life is valuable and folks shouldn't be killing people for non-violent harassment in subways, then we could be, as a broader community, be having much more productive conversations about what to do about uh, homelessness and and mental health crisis that- All about
0: bringing down the violence on the subway, period. Or anywhere else.
1: (laughs) Including the vigilantism. Including the vigilantism. (laughs) All right. I'm glad glad we can agree. We're rising right after this. We have a new update on the case out of Brownsville, Texas, in which a driver killed eight and injured 10 people. He has been now charged with manslaughter. Uh, The driver allegedly drove his SVU into a crowd of migrants standing in front of a homeless shelter near the U.S.-Mexico border police are still determining whether the suspect drove into the crowd intentionally or not. According to The New York Times, police are looking into reports that the driver yelled anti-immigration insults at victims while attempting to flee the scene.
0: Right. So he drove through a red light. He flipped his vehicle. He attempted to flee the scene. His name, by the way, is George Alvarez. That's been reported. He has an extensive rap sheet, um, I think mostly involving violence against his own family members. Uh, now all victim the, the victims killed were all male, uh, Venezuelans, uh, people who'd come, m- migrants from Venezuela, uh, plowed right into them. Yeah. Uh, they were, these people who were kind of outside the shelter. Um, yeah, at a bus
1: stop. Um, it's a no really- bench, So some of them were sitting on yeah. the ground. So it's, yeah, he ran, and he ran a red light. That's important. He ran
0: you. a red light. So we're waiting for more information. The authorities have not determined whether this was intentional. Um, I, I think they- have not had a result yet of a, tox screening or breathalyzer or something like that. This one may turn. Obviously, we don't know. So just speculating. This sounds like one that might turn out to be a a drunk driving or something or, or, or under some kind of influence um, to me, rather than a deliberate. I mean, it it could be both. It could be that he d- deliberately ran into a bunch of people, but also was you know, on alcohol or drugs or something. but Yeah.
1: I mean, so part of the delay has been apparently he's been very combative. They'd struggled with getting fingerprints from him because he wouldn't stop moving, basically. He apparently gave law enforcement a number of fake names before they were able to track down who he actually was. Um, They did take him in immediately. He was restrained at the scene. He did try to flee, but they were able to take him in immediately. And I expect we will get toxicology reports at some uh, some date in the future. We just don't know yet. He was driving a Range Rover that flipped on the scene. This was right. really a cataclysmic sort of an, an accident, if it was, in fact, a fact, an accident. Um, and so it's no surprise then that so many people were killed and uh, eight others—sorry, uh, 10 others were at least were injured in this crash. And he does have a record of not only kind of the assault against a family member, uh, but also of driving while intoxicated in the past. His criminal history yeah, also that's, includes that seems assault seems a deadly relevant. weapon, <laughs> assault against the elderly or disabled, assault uh, causing bodily injury mm-hmm. to a family member, assault of a public servant, burglary of a vehicle. It's a long, it's a long list, which could militate in either direction, right? That could be evidence that this is someone who has been kind of socially aberrant, and this is just another in a long line mm-hmm. of issues, or this could be something that's evidence of targeting uh, migrant communities. Why isn't it evident it should, be- <laughs> it should already be behind bars, right? Sorry? <laughs> well, I mean, it, de- it, it depends. Oftentimes in these cases, the fact that the person having a rap sheet and not being in jail is taken as evidence that they were never in jail or the criminal mm-hmm. justice system didn't work. But unless you think the penalty for every crime is life imprisonment or death, you are going to have people who are previously charged and uh, and convicted of things, that are, of course, no longer in jail. And I think that a lot of kind of freedom-minded, you know, libertarian thinkers are going to have to wrestle with themselves as they offer commentary on events like that.
0: Well, I don't have to wrestle very hard. For repeat offenders, yeah, the next time you go back for
1: a good long time. Right. If you serve your time, that, get out and rehabilitate, great. That that could already be the case. I mean, this came up obviously in the um, strangulation strangulation and death of uh, Neely in the subway in New York uh, last week, where people said, "Well, look at this long list of uh, encounters he's had with the police. He should have been in jail." Well, he did serve at least one 18-month term. I mean, these are mm-hmm. these are long terms for you know assault, you know basic assault things like that that Not are Lana. very in line with what 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 people's expectations are in the criminal justice system. So unless you want to deal with the underlying behavior, mental health issues, the, the you know, mm-hmm. increased violence that we're seeing among kids in school and these kinds of things, you're going to have to deal with it. And I don't I think that most Americans don't think that the most equitable and kind of freedom-based and sustainable and cost-effective way to do it is to go from being the number one in, uh, population of incarcerated people in the world to being the number one in, uh, population of incarcerated people by the world by orders of magnitude higher and higher and higher over the years? Well,
0: I, I don't know. I think people might want people who are, if we're talking about, you know, routine acts of violence against random people or family members or routine drunk driving or all these things, yeah, I think probably they should be incarcerated for longer stretches of time. I. I guess I don't know if my fellow Americans agree, but I bet they okay. probably aren't so conflicted.
1: I have very strong feelings about drunk driving. I've been personally very affected by drunk drivers, and I still don't feel as though a life sentence is required Mm -hmm. for people who have engaged in junk driving. Now, If you get out,
0: get back in the car, drunk drive again, life sentence second time around. Licenses should
1: definitely be stripped away. Um, People have breathalyzers and other kinds of things in their car that prevent them from being able to to drive at all. And those interventions make sense. But in this case, obviously now that he's been charged um, with manslaughter for killing eight people, this is the kind of event that will get mm-hmm. you thrown in jail for a very life long time. in prison now, right? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, again, I don't know what the sentencing guidelines are, and I would defer to experts about that. But yeah, I would presume yeah. a very long sentence for killing eight people. But the thing is, unless you want to live in a minority report situation where we're preemptively jailing people before they've done anything wrong.
0: Not before they've done anything wrong, but after they've done something wrong repeatedly. Right.
1: But you can't. You're going to throw someone in jail for life because they stole three cell phones? Because they got in three bar fights? Because what? Like, what is the line of smaller crimes that just because of the number of their crimes? You're talking about the kind of three-strike legislation that led to us having these um, overfull jails at taxpayer expense in the first instance, right? So I do think there's a difference. At a certain point, again, unless we want to live in a minority report world where we say, well, because you've, you, you're, you're repeated... Petty criminal. You should have this. The minority report world is then bigger... tr- is trying to
0: predict who's going to get crime and uh, trying to engage in crime right. and detaining them ahead of that. I, yes, obviously that impugns civil liberties but in to... a huge way. But people who have already committed crimes should be don't charged... have the same rights as everyone else. No, you,
1: you you should be charged with the crime that you committed, not locked up for the rest of your life because we don't want you to do petty larceny anymore or get or in punch random people in the face or yeah. drive people
0: over I'm, or I'm all sorry. those things.
1: This is so interesting because as this discourse has percolated over the internet over the last week, a discourse which I've been very much trying to ignore and enjoy my holiday, it's become clear that there's a way that some more conservative-leaning people have framed this as liberals don't want people to pay for their crimes, which is interesting to me because it seems to me Liberals want people to pay for the crime they have done, not the projected ex- expectation I don't wanna, of crimes that have not, not yet been.
0: I have a different perpetrator. For me, it's not about, I don't care if people are paying for their crimes. I care about public safety. It's not, it, it's not, it's not, a, for, for me, the purpose of locking people up is to keep other people safe. It's not about whether it's, it's justice or, or yeah. it, it's, it's literally about keeping the, we jail people. Because they're a threat of violence to So where, where do liberty
1: others. interests come in? Where does your liberty interest as an American citizen come in? I mean,
0: you don't have the right to engage, to initiate violence against other people.
1: Okay. So where does that come in with like the gun debate, for instance? Obviously, we have been covering event after event of people who who argue that one's rights under the Constitution to have access to a gun- Right- preempt other people's rights to be safe from gun violence. It's right there on the paper. So where do your liberty interests as a person to have due process and not be thrown in jail for crimes that you have not committed because you're anticipated to be a harm to the public? What do you mean anticipated? You act like
0: we're trying to look at a crystal ball and figure it out. It's if you've done violence (laughs) against people already. Of
1: course. If you've done violence against people already, you're charged with a thing that you actually committed. But what people are saying is because you hit someone multiple times, you— you should have a sentence that's more commensurate with actually killing someone. The sentence for hitting someone is whatever it is. Go to jail for a few months, go to jail for a year. But people get back out because mm. it's not that serious a crime that, that has as a consequence, should have a lifelong imprisonment. Your liberty stripped for the rest of your life as a human being in the United States of America. That is very significant. It's, it, and I mean, we're it, all it, a society it trying to, to weigh those
0: interests. And, and gun- Punching a random person on the face in the street It should be treated as a much more serious crime than you you brought up like a bar fight or something like It matters whether it's a fair fight or not.
1: Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I think that what you're articulating here is a a feeling that many people have in this country in particular I've noticed which is that my your interest should to to never be the victim of violence at any time. That is the goal. Safe at all (laughs) times. It's
0: the goal for everybody
1: outweighs the fundamental liberty interest of average people to live their lives and not be mass incarcerated. Because if you take what you're saying to the absolute extreme, Robbie, Mm -hmm. you would say anyone who's ever had a parking, uh, like a driving violation should never have a car again. There should Mm -hmm. be no mulligans, right? Because some some significant percentage of DUI folks reoffend significant percentages of people who have been caught with some small amount of marijuana on, on them or what have you, things that most Americans do, Reoffend?
0: I don't I mean I don't think that's not an issue of enforcement I don't think possessing marijuana should be illegal anyway right, I would so just we're make making, it not illegal. So we're I would making substantive for it.
1: claims well, about the question, kind yes. of actions that people think are permissible versus impermissible. And I understand that violence is scary and no one wants I don't I also don't want to be punched in the face in the subway. Yeah. I also don't think that someone who punches me in the face in the subway should go to jail for the rest of their life when I I have a bruise that's going to be gone in a week. I mean, like, I think that there's a way that you can I mean, say the, that something important. In the is Jordan important. Neely
0: case, the, per, the person punched had a much, it wasn't yeah. just a bruise in the face. It was an old person
1: it, it, that's horrible. twice
0: sucker punched. Yeah, I, I, I'm sorry.
1: I, like you, if you if you get to have a country where people are running around mass killing people with AR-15s, but
0: you don't. Like, they, just happen. if they do that, they go to prison. for right. and, me, and
1: and and this person, because the crime
0: is the violence, not and, the possession And George of the gun.
1: Alvarez will go to prison for this. Just Good. like I'm sure he went to prison. Or was whatever the penalties are for all of the other actions that he's done. Mm-hmm. But that's not the question. People are looking retroactively to people's records and saying, well, they already should have gotten a sentence for killing eight people for punching their grandmother or mm-hmm. whatever that was. And unless you want a maximalist world where any single crime you do gets you a If life you can sentence, reduce that's violent insane.
0: crime by, let's say you could reduce violent crime by 80% by having repeat offenders the second time. Sorry, you get a, okay. a sentence ten times and, longer than otherwise, and, and you could reduce crime by eighty. percent And let's
1: say that you can reduce gun violence by eighty percent by locking up every gun in America the way they did in Australia after they had a mass gun killing. They had a buyback program, mm-hmm. and now there's no guns in Australia, and there's also no crimes. Would you agree with that?
0: Well, a we can't do that because the Constitution doesn't let us. Okay,
1: well, this is B, a we also can't lock up people because the Constitution prevents us because we have due process and. I think we rights. could do it.
0: I would. I would tweak your proposal. People who commit who have committed violent crime should not be able to carry guns in the future as is already the law And it should actually be enforced and that's fine. That's most that's, that's people not are not misusing the guns at all So we don't need to take it away from them,
1: right? But this isn't that's not a one-to-one ratio. That's not okay. a one-to-one analogy because people like this guy aren't using guns They're not there's there's nothing there's a million different ways to commit violence. So the right. the, the analogy Right, you can drive somebody along. you can take
0: your car and drive I mean I, I don't want to put ideas in people's heads, but you can, you know, drive into crowds with.
1: We're not going to get rid of all the cars, in addition to all the guns. Well, but that's kind of the maximalist argument that is ultimately being made. Except because you personally are not, are not being affected by the, well, you perceive that you aren't going to be affected by the maximalist kind of incarceration regime that you're imagining mm-hmm. here. You are satisfied with it. You think that it's about, you know, you can you can control whether or not you. Act out, you commit a crime, so everyone should just be wise to that fact and know that if you punch somebody once, you're going to go to jail. But I don't know how many dystopian. I movies. didn't say if you're going
0: to punch somebody once. Well, how
1: many times do you punch somebody before you get a life sentence in jail? And
0: not somebody, but r- people at r- violence against people who are like again, you brought up a bar fight. Like a fight is a fight. Okay, That's so a how different many how many times do
1: you punch? How many times fewer do you than punch forty. <laughs>
0: We're talking about the subway... I know they weren't all they violent weren't. crimes, that's, that's but they were... That's a
1: mischaracterization of what he did. He did were. not punch people 40 times in a row, or at all.
0: I think a... I mean, we we were going to talk about this case separately today, so we should save our power right. for that, but um, look, okay, maybe there's nothing we can do, but it seems to me in so many of the violent incidents we cover across, whether it's crime, whether it's uh, some of the mass shootings, even, there's... There is a history that could have been treated more seriously that could have prevented, potentially, the violence.
1: Yeah. Look, and conservatives are talking a lot about mental health issues. I think that the restraint that some people who have demonstrated an inability to show restraint, -restraint Mm self-restraint, because of their mental health issues, should be in mental health facilities. That is the answer to the question. So for all of the hand-wringing about how this is a mental health crisis that is sometimes weaponized to take the focus off of, let's say, gun laws and things Mm -hmm. like that, I'm open to the idea that some part of this obviously is about mental health issues, obviously, a significant part. But the same people who are advocating for justice for Neely, for instance, are the same cohort who have been screaming and tearing their hair out, saying, we have insufficient social services support for people like Neely. And it feels, I don't know, hypocritical now for some people who are conservatives and who only wanted to defund those sorts of institutions and sorts of programs to now be saying, well, this is a mental health issue. He should have been in some kind of a mental health facility away from the public. I think that might be true. But we have to, as a community, decide then we're actually going to fund it and not just use that as a talking I mean, point a, when something like this happens. Well,
0: I, I don't know, There was a plan to— I, <laughs> I, I don't know who you're talking about. There was a the, the New York plant. We should say this for the second, sure, Jordan. Neely. Sure. So we'll we'll stay tuned. We'll be right back. More rising after this.
1: Everyone on the internet, it seems, is talking about this new New York Times story about Elizabeth Holmes, the famous uh, CEO behind the Theranos fraud, who was known for her mile-long stare, black turtlenecks, and of (laughs) course... The red lipstick. Fraud! The red red lipstick and of course the fraud. Uh, She was charged with one count of conspiracy to commit fraud. Three counts of conspiracy to commit fraud against individual donors, and amounting in something like $140 million. She was sentenced to 11 years in prison and is out uh, on appeal and uh, was memorialized in a number of uh, uh, television series and movies, uh, including most famously by Amanda Seyfried in a, in a Hulu special that I watched and enjoyed. She had a bizarre, low, gravelly voice. She was one of these people who managed to make it in the tech, tech world, it seemed, largely by cultivating a persona. Right. She fooled a lot of very high-profile people into investing in this technology. Rupert
0: Murdoch, James Mattis, George Schultz. Uh, yes. in And the technology,
1: it seems, on its face many scientists were very skeptical of, apparently in her um, college at the, program. Including
0: at Theranos, included <laughs> within <laughs> the company. At yes. Theranos.
1: So apparently she was this young, ambitious woman um, at Stanford, I believe. She went to her, one of her professors with this idea, another woman professor, who told her, on its face this this just defies technology it's not going to work when you take blood it's a de- blood testing machine i should have mentioned that and the reason why when you go to the doctor's office it takes so much blood is because you need a certain volume of it to test for all the different things and all the different tests that are required when you get a checkup or what have you her innovation was supposed to be that you could take a single drop of blood, put it on a slide, pop it in this black box, it would go rumble, 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 and spit out a whole panoply of results. And she had these huge contracts with, um, uh, well, what do you call it, uh, convenient, Walgreens, CVS mm-hmm. type stores that were supposed to make it so that, instead of having to go into a doctor's office for these kind right. of blood screenings, you could just go to your neighborhood mall convenience store. If it worked, it would
0: have been amazing, would have changed the world, right. but it didn't work. It didn't work. <laughs> it was on all of uh, she was uh, so her business partner at the time was an older man, uh, Indian or Pakistani man. Yeah, I believe. who she
1: met on a vacation when she was right. 18 years old. I think he was in his late 30s when she was. And 18. she
0: kind of puts it on him that he forced her to adopt this persona, and uh, and he he also got convicted of fraud. Oh, he's a fraud. in jail. Yeah, he's in jail. How, but but so yeah. this but th- th- this we should say this profile. The reason it's getting so much attention is because it comes across straightforwardly as extremely sympathetic yes. to Elizabeth Holmes or Liz Holmes. <laughs> uh, a lot of people accusing the writer of this one for getting totally sucked in by her and, and for talking about how, for taking seriously the idea Elizabeth Holmes suggests in these interviews that Elizabeth Holmes is actually a character she was portraying. Yes. And she, it's, it was all a fake persona and she's actually this sweet maternal woman mm-hmm. who volunteers for a rape crisis hotline mm-hmm. and you know, just didn't mean to hurt people and mm-hmm. got you know over her head. And I I think what many readers are is is immediately and obviously occurring to them is, how do you know, you, Amy Chozik, author of this piece at the New York Times, that she's not making a persona for you to engage with here? Right,
1: so what's so fascinating about this article, if you read it, which I strongly (laughs) encourage people to do, is that the author is kind of engaging, like speaking out loud through her confusion about what to believe and what not to believe, mm-hmm. but seems to never really credit the possibility that she sh- could be getting fooled by someone who is a convicted fraudster. Mm-hmm. So in one passage, she says, quote, "'This warning stuck with me, "'and, and it got at something I, that had been gnawing on me "'since I first met Ms. Holmes. "'How do you have an honest conversation with a person "'whose fraud trial has played out so publicly? I tried to ask Ms. Holmes this directly, how do I believe you when you've been convicted of basically, in parentheses, lying? I don't know why she had to qualify basically. She's been convicted of lying. It's fraud. Okay. But how could I ask someone who was nursing her 11-day-old baby on a white sofa two feet away if she was actually conning me? How? By doing it, ma'am, you're a journalist, and this is the whole point. So instead of actually engaging with the obvious con, she writes up that she's changed her hair, she doesn't wear the black turtleneck anymore, she has these two young babies, she's breastfeeding, she's living this whole mommy and me life, all this stuff. And moreover, participates in Elizabeth's reframing of her co-conspirator in partner at the time of being the one who was driving this whole thing, the one that was really at fault, and to the that she engages with her own fault, basically says that she's getting piled on for, quote, girl bossing too close to the sun. So she really weaponizes this idea that because she's a woman, um, she is getting unfair treatment here uh, and that she simply really believed that her product was going to work. And she regrets that she just didn't spend more time, you know, working on the science of her product instead of, you know, doing the fraud.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, You know, this kind of journalism can be interesting. I, I remember a great piece. Uh, I think by, you know, Stephen Glass is the New Republic fraudster. I don't mm. know if you know about that. Mm-hmm. He, he worked for the New Republic years and years and years ago and produced all these just wildly fake stories, obviously not as harmful in the same way that what Elizabeth Holmes did, but he got away, then he got caught and etc. He's a well-known journalist fraud. And there was a great piece a couple years ago, probably many years ago now, with one of his former colleagues interviews him, and he's very contrite, he's very apologetic, and she's like, Look, I want to believe you. You know, we were friends. I'm talking to you. I, I like. I want to believe you, but mm-hmm. you're also so good at this. You're so good at fooling mm-hmm. me. And it was very, it was very interesting. So this kind of thing can be done successfully. Mm-hmm. I don't know that this piece is really a good example of that.
1: I, I, absolutely not. I mean, I remember it struck me when I first saw the internet commentary about it. I thought, well, some of the people complaining, they complain about a lot of stuff. Maybe this article really isn't that bad. It opens, thusly. <laughs> Elizabeth Holmes blends in with the other moms here in a bucket hat and sunglasses. Her newborn strapped to her chest and swathed in a Baby Yoda nursing blanket. We walk past a family of caged orangutans and talk about how Miss Holmes is preparing to go to prison for one of the most notorious cases of corp- corporate fraud in recent history. Like it, it, the the, mm-hmm. the mother the motherhood angle is really interesting because it does feel as also like. Some Some people uh,
0: people said she had these kids in order to get a lesser sentence.
1: Exactly. So she ended up partnering with this much younger man, um, I believe he's 25 years old. His name is Billy Evans. He's deployed in this article as kind of proof positive of her normalcy. A lot of his quotes are about how normal she is. He talks about that weird voice that she used to use saying that that was a character and, you know, kind of— beating Mm -hmm. us to the punch of making fun of it um, in a way that that kind of is intended to humanize her, saying that that was the persona, that wasn't, isn't real. She obviously doesn't talk like that. Yeah, I thought it was weird too, but that's not who she is. Um, Again, this was her under the influence of this older man who forced her to do these frauds and such. Um, And having these two children being bre- breastfeeding, I do think it's all intended to make her seem like someone who should not be in jail, that this is somehow unfair. And this is the way that white-collar criminals are often framed. If someone had stolen $140 million worth of Toothpaste, deodorant, and razors from a Walgreens. I doubt they would be getting this kind of treatment in the New York Times. Mm -hmm. And yet, when you defraud investors, when you steal 140 million dollars, when you—she also apparently bullied one of her employees to the point of committing suicide. She uh, told people they had false positive people cancer cancer patients were being told they had false positive. A woman was told she was
0: having a miscarriage when she was not having a miscarriage. Right,
1: and you can imagine the medical implications of that. Am I going to stop taking my my prenatal drugs, I'm going to start drinking, et cetera, because of, I've been told I'm no longer pregnant. I mean, really horrific crimes that do not get anywhere near the level of treatment in this piece as compared to the color of her turtleneck and the fact that she likes to take long walks on the beach with her children.
0: On the second day we spent together, Mr. Evans asked me what the most surprising part of spending so much time with Miss Holmes was, and I told, this is the author, I told him that it said I didn't expect her to be so normal. <laughs> This is, this is not normal behavior. People don't normally do the things Elizabeth Holmes did.
1: One, one of the funniest things in this article. You know, like, oops, <laughs>
0: oh, I ran God. the biggest
1: fraud in, in all of his human history. But she's sorry, and she's wow. had a couple of children, so that apparently cleanses everything. Apparently, her own editor, she puts this in the piece. She says, "I admitted I was admittedly swept up in Liz as an authentic and sympathetic person. She's gentle and charismatic in a quiet way. My editor laughed at me when I shared these impressions, telling me, and I quote, Amy Chauzyk, you got rolled. Got to agree with the editor, although I don't know why the editor didn't have a little bit of a firmer hand.
0: Listen to your editors, people. (laughs) Often they know what they're doing. We'll have more rising right after this. Robert F. Kennedy Jr., a Democratic presidential hopeful, has blamed the CIA for the death of his uncle, President JFK, in a recent interview on the radio. Let's take a listen to that. Who do you think really killed your uncle?
1: Well, I think there's overwhelming evidence
0: that the CIA was involved in this murder. I think it's beyond a reasonable
1: doubt at this point. People you know,
0: who questioned that. So I don't agree that it is beyond a reasonable doubt, like proven, et cetera, that the CIA was involved. What I do appreciate is that the government might have known more than it was telling us for a long time, was very not transparent about releasing the files. Um, Some of them have now finally been released. You know, we should know everything that the government determined about this case. Um, for, you know, if people, if anyone out there is, like, less familiar (laughs) with the JFK assassination, the official story understanding, the official narrative, and you can disagree with it if you want, is that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone, um, shot JFK, uh, was was a was motivated by pro-Soviet and pro-Cuba Castro kind of ideology. He had also killed like a right-wing judge, and he was going after Kennedy for being too anti-communist. Uh, but you know, had also like struggled in his personal life, and you know that again toxic mixture mixture of maybe ideology, maybe kind of crazy that seems to provoke violence, which we were talking about in an earlier segment. Yeah. Now the thing that obviously raised. People's like alarm bells was then he himself was killed by another guy by Jack Ruby, uh, who who stated motivation was actually out of a like a loyalty and a fondness for Kennedy, and he was so sad that this had happened. So it looked like a lot of people to a lot of people like a cover up involvement by the CIA has been alleged, involvement by uh, Vice President Lyndon Johnson, um, involvement by communists, involvement by the Mafia, all sorts of things.
1: Yeah, I mean, and there's something that echoes well,
0: something uh, the present. something for present
1: And there, there are fun contemporary echoes of the idea that, you know, somehow, you know, Russia, Russia made me do it um, mm-hmm. is a thread. People who are kind of the ideological um, enemies, let's say, of the American deep state are being blamed for these kinds of actions at that time. Obviously, right. Cuba, Russia, Soviets um, were enemy number one. But, you know, this story has percolated more recently, uh, we covered on this show, that there were new releases that Biden made um, as a consequence of this 1992 uh, President JFK Assassination Records Collection Act, which stipulated that all of the records relating to the investigation into the assassination were to be made public, I believe, by 2017. Now, that was when Trump was in office. He released some of the records, but not all of the records. And they've been coming out in drips and drabs since then. There was a dump that happened last year that we covered on this show. But the fact that he still hasn't, that the government still hasn't fully released all of these records, holding on to I believe, a few thousand files, is another piece of the puzzle that I think causes folks to remain suspicious of what really happened here. And having someone so high profile and obviously a member of the family coming out and raising this issue at the same time that they're raising really pointed critiques of the CIA and the fact that it should be broken up It is is a kind of messy situation for folks who have been managed to go for years without having anybody in either political party really make substantive criticisms of those institutions.
0: Of course, there was, uh, and this came out of the JFK files, that J. Edgar Hoover. who had a, at times, I think, adversarial relationship with JFK had, I believed, had come, you know, had knowledge of JFK's affairs and all that kind of thing, and had threatened to use it in a threatening way. Um, according to the files, he very much said that um, that the public must believe that Oswald left it uh, th- that Oswald acted alone Now he it, it was not demonstrated necessarily that he was saying that because that was not the truth mm-hmm. but he thought that was his agenda mm-hmm. that the public must believe Oswald acted alone. And, uh, and you know, he's Hoover being kind of the original, like, deep state figure, right, mm-hmm. trying to influence political figures during his long tenure in which he collected dirt on everybody. You know, we've talked how law enforcement you know, tried to send threatening letters to Martin Luther King Jr., wanted him to kill himself. There There is, like, nefarious—they've had their hands they've in everything. It. It's killed, not— The it's FBI
1: not, killed Fred Hampton. I mean, this, this yeah. isn't the realm of conspiracy theory. We no. have a long list of COINTELPRO, FBI— um, prosecution of a number of groups, Puerto Rican independence groups, Latin American independence groups, obviously Black liberation groups, since time immemorial. That is mm-hmm. proven and documented, and weirdly, kind of black hole in our public understanding of what these organizations are willing to do and have, in fact, done. So there is certainly cause for suspicion. I think you, you opened up by saying, like, mm-hmm. you can't, you can't prove, you can't say conclusively the way that maybe RFK Jr. is saying, I know that they did this. But certainly, the hole of opportunity is big enough to drive a Mack truck through, um, given the priors of these kinds of organizations. I think the real question here, from a political perspective, is, is there public appetite for someone like RFK Jr., who has done remarkably well in polling—I think 14 percent of Biden voters uh, are supportive of his campaign, and he polled overall with about 20 percent in the most recent polls. Is there a political opportunity in him saying, we have the suspicious of suspicion of the deep state? We have suspicion of the FBI. There's a lot of folks in this country who are conservative-leading who believe that it's been weaponized, the institution has been weaponized to go after Donald Trump, um, whether it's because of the New York um, case, whether it's because of the documents case, where they feel like Joe Biden did the exact same thing and is this fair? You know, is there a real political opportunity in being bold enough not only to say we need to do something about the CIA and FBI and limit their power, but also to call upon your own family's personal history mm-hmm. of potentially being assassinated by these very groups to lend credibility to that cause?
0: I'm just reading this great NBC News article on the JFK files that points out, Soviet officials thought the assassination was a conspiracy on the part of the ultra-right to start a coup and worried that some irresponsible general might shoot a missile at the Soviet Union. And then apparently in these Mm. documents is a list of ways the CIA had considered for killing Fidel Mm. Uh, Castro—poison pills and a drink, hiring a mobster. Uh, one contemplated giving Castro a skin-diving suit contaminated with a fungus. Another called for planting a seashell filled with explosives in an area where Castro went diving. Oh, what a beautiful shell. <laughs> I will listen to the ocean. Jeez, Kaboom! I mean,
1: what's, what's crazy about this, oh. we, we write spy movies, we yeah. watch these things as so though they're Exploding fantasy, seashell. but they're, they're based, in, based in reality. I mean, there is a left critique and a right critique at this point of America's regime change, wars, the way that we pick future presidents of countries like Ukraine, if you look to the Victoria Nuland recording, openly plotting about who was going to be put in charge of the country following the 2014 coup, and over and uh, and over and over and over again. So the idea that that kind of world-building an extra democrat, you know, outside of the democratic system would be happening internationally, but never come to bear in the United States, especially given the sheer volume of assassinations that we had in the 1960s. I mean, uh, Marion Williamson has said repeatedly how much she feels like. Um, kind of the public momentum and and the movement momentum that existed from the workers' movements in the 30s and 40s through the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s, women liberation, gay liberation, et cetera, were ultimately stymied and that the energy was really effectively quashed by the... These assassinations and the fact that people felt like no matter how successful we are through democratic are you, means, from legitimate protests and through okay. appealing to the public consensus or creating what, 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 what assassinations are you talking about here? JFK, oh, RFK, sure, sure. MLK, I Malcolm. I think you're saying X, like assassinations Fred of Hampton. activists. Well, that happened yeah. too at a lower, lower profile level. Fred Hampton being one of them.
0: I don't know who Fred Hampton is.
1: Um, Black Power Movement uh, mm-hmm. was uh, assassinated by the FBI in his home. There has been a number of movies made about it recently um, uh, with a fellow from Get Out, whose name I'm missing mm-hmm. right now, because I can never have that kind of recall. But the point is, that that has happened, and the feeling was, well, even if we do everything we're supposed to do, even if we organize, even if we get our movements together, even if we get people elected to the president of the United States of America, but ultimately they will be stopped, we can really take the heart out of people's efforts to try. Yeah, and then you just say, "Well, I guess I got to go work my desk job and see if I can afford a mortgage and a beamer." And then we had the '80s. <laughs> you I don't
0: know, know that people. I don't know that people should be that demoralized. Political officials, at least, getting assassinated in the U.S. is not a very typical thing to happen. Although it was a ugly decade.
1: Black, the, the Black Panther um, um, uh, building was firebombed. Right. uh Malcolm X's home uh, was firebombed. I mean, they were going after people's families and these deep state institutions have their fingerprints on a lot of it documented the not in the conspiratorial way the FBI killed Fred, Fred Hampton you know they had informants in black panthers they had informants yeah, in I mean, there KKK was, groups i mean they were they were everywhere
0: right i mean there was some intergroup conflict and violence too on the left in that time period right the i mean the way underground people blew themselves up the
1: it, Well, I don't, I don't, I'm not exactly sure that's germane to what we're talking about here. Of course, there's violence in the country. People are going to do what they're going to do. The question is whether or not our tax dollars, whether the state, the deep state, should be interfering in what are basically democratic processes by murdering not just activists, which I think is extremely important and a deep and serious problem. The FBI just rounded up these uh, and is prosecuting these uh, African Socialist Party members. one of Tucker Carlson's last interviews was about that. I believe Glenn Greenwald was on to talk about the, the prosecution of, of that group and the claim that they are linked up with the Russians Russian, doing yeah. Russia, Russia, Russia. Um, but if it, if it is true that they're implicated in the killing of both JFK and RFK, the idea that the people voted and they made a decision, and right. ultimately that decision is too far whatever direction you think he was too far in too far left, too not insufficiently supportive of of, uh, Palestinian—whatever it was, that that choice could be made for the American public by a a man with a gun. That's a huge issue, and I think a lot of Americans are going to be really heartened to hear that someone like RFK Jr. is willing to make that part of the public conversation again. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, that does it for us for today. Thank you for watching, and please tune in to Rising again tomorrow. We'll be back at the desk. And you can like, share, subscribe, etc., do all that good stuff, and we'll see you back here tomorrow.